Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, please visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Brian Condello. Welcome, Salem Alliance family. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm so glad that you could join us in this way today. And I know that you were blessed by that worship, and uh, we're going to dive into the Word right now. Um, life is messy. It's chaotic. It has conflict. And, and sometimes I think of it in the same way that I think about a game of pickup basketball. Now, stay with me. I played a lot of basketball growing up, and pickup basketball is just when you go down to the park and there's a bunch of people running games, and you get on a team and you start to play. Now, the cardinal rule of pickup basketball is call your own fouls. If you get fouled, you stop play, you reset, and then you keep going. Now, there's usually two extremes that happen in the call your own foul pickup basketball world. The first extreme is you could be guarding someone socially distant, six feet apart. They put up a shot and miss, and they just call foul. They call foul on everything. You were breathing on me. You looked at me funny. You were in my space. Foul. And that just brings a halt to the game, and it's terrible. Now, the other extreme is when there are bigger, stronger, angrier guys, and you're just afraid to call anything. It's this idea where you're like, listen, I'm so sorry. It's, it's my fault. I was in your way when you ran into me and elbowed me in the face and stole the ball. And I'm so glad that uh, my chest could be a, stop, a soft landing spot for your foot on the way to the rim. There's those kind of things, too. We're just, it's just chaos because everything goes. Both extremes are bad. Both extremes create chaos and oftentimes bruises. And things get out of control. And fights happen. And a beautiful game goes bad. Here's the thing. In those moments, you need someone to step into the mess. You need someone with the authority to make the calls. You need someone to come in and restore order. You need a ref. And whether or not you like all the calls that the ref makes, you need a ref to make it good again. Now, let's come back to how that plays out in our lives. That's what we long for. We long for someone with authority to step into the mess, to stop the chaos, and to make everything right again. We long for someone to step into our lives and make the tough calls and to bring justice. And that's what we want to talk about here today. We want to talk about this idea that there is no justice without judgment. There is no justice without judgment. Now, it seems like there's a rigid dichotomy between those two things, because we love justice. But we loathe judgment. But we need to understand that judgment is the path to justice. Without God's rule, there is no righteousness. And when I'm talking about judgment, I'm not talking about the multitude of micro judgments that we make every day, our flawed, self-serving, biased, limited viewpoint judgments. I'm not talking about feeling judged by other people. I'm talking about the perfect all-knowing judge whose judgment brings justice. And justice, literally in Scripture, is righteousness. It's the way things should be. It's peace. It's restoration. We need the judge to finally come to step into the mess and to make everything right again. 
Now, we've been studying in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation, we're going to come to this part where we start to find this judgment that leads us to this justice, this peace, this restoration. And, and quite honestly, it's a little bit striking. Most of Scripture is pretty straightforward about the consequences of sin. But when you get to Revelation, it just kicks up a notch. It takes it to a whole new level of imagery. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6 today and a little bit in chapter 8. And you can turn there. And this is the place in Revelation that a lot of people stop reading and quite honestly, a lot of preachers stop preaching. But as we get to chapter 6, we need to remember what Steve taught in chapters 4 and 5 last week. We need to remember this idea that the Lamb is on the throne. And the Lamb is the overcomer. And we need to begin to walk in the way of the Lamb. And we have to remember that the Lamb is on the throne as we begin to get further into the book. Even when everything around us calls this into question, even when the world seems to be spinning out of control, even when 2021's like, I see you 2020, I can do you one better. The lamb is on the throne. And without that truth, these passages that we're going to get to can seem a little bit overwhelming because we're coming to this passage that's going to talk about seven seals on a scroll. And there are really seven judgments that are coming. And it's the first of three sets of seven judgments. And seven is a significant number for the author. It's the number of completeness, if you think of it in a seven-day kind of weekly cycle. And these judgments, they, they sit inside of each other, kind of like nesting dolls. You get to the seventh one of the first, and it opens up a whole nother seven judgments. You get to the seventh one there, and it opens up a whole never another seven judgments. And there's a lot of different ways to think about this. You know, some people think that these are linear and progressive judgments. Some people think of them as concentric circles, ever expanding, taking in more and more space. Some people say that they happened in the past. Some people say that they're happening currently. Some people say all of these things will be in the future. And to all of those issues and questions, I would say yes and no. We see some of these things. We haven't seen some of these things yet. But we need to understand that each opened seal unleashes an event or, or a, something that is associated with judgment. So Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, As I watched the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll, then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay, and don't waste the olive oil and wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. Now, let's just pause there for just a minute. 
These four seals, the first four are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And they've been kind of depicted in uh, culture over the years. I'll just show you a few pictures of some of the more popular ones. This first one is, um, it was painted in the late 1800s and kind of shows the four horsemen coming. Uh, This next one is a depiction that looks a little Lord of the Rings-ish, and you can see, can't see their faces. This last one is kind of a really popular depiction of these four horsemen. Uh, I'm not sure uh, why they're so happy with what they're bringing, but uh, still frightening in, in their own way, obviously. Now, the four horsemen, this is an allusion to Zechariah chapter 1, which has four uh, horsemen on different colored horses, and the white horse comes, and he's released to win battles and gain victory. It's, it's, a, it's an image of conquering, a picture of forcefully taking control, which leads to greater and greater conflict. And the second horse comes, and it's red, and it signals blood, and it's just released to take peace. And it says that there's going to be war and slaughter everywhere. And then the black horse comes carrying scales because of the conquest, because of the war, that there's going to be this scarcity and food will be weighed and rationed and this greed will lead to hunger and famine and finally we have a pale green horse that comes and this is death and there's given power to take the lives of 25 percent of the earth through sword and famine and disease and hades is his companion that's kind of reigning in those that die and it's these four signifying the kingdom of this world coming in conflict with the kingdom of the lamb This is the beginning of the judgment that's going to bring justice. And then with the fifth seal being opened up in this chapter, we see martyrs. We see those who have been martyred for being faithful and they're underneath the altar and they're crying out, how long, O Lord? How long until you bring judgment? The martyrs are praying this. It's called an imprecatory prayer. It's this prayer that is demanding restitution. And they're saying, God, how long until you come? David prayed these prayers in the Psalms. God, you need to do something to your enemies. You need to do something. And it's a call for justice, but it still leaves it in God's hands. And God says, you need to wait a little bit because there's more that are going to be martyred. And then we get to the sixth seal, and it's symbolic of what's called the day of the Lord. And we see it in Isaiah chapter 2 and Joel chapter 2. It's the verses using imagery to kind of signify the end of the world. The sun turns black, the moon turns red, the stars are falling from the sky like figs being shaken out of a tree, and everyone from the greatest to the least is running and hiding and saying, who can save us from this judgment? And if you want to think of this image, it's, it's not an image that's meant to be like God smiting his people, but really it's an image meant to kind of bring up this idea of God letting his people have their own way. It's as if God is taking his hands off the universe and the universe is then collapsing in on itself. It's as if God is saying, if you long so much for control of everything, the universe is in your hands now. And nobody can handle that responsibility. And so the sixth seal being broken is just kind of the end of it. But then the seventh seal gets broken and there's just silence. There's 30 minutes of silence as incense is mixed with the prayers of God's people and offered up before the throne. This sweet offering before God in this silence. And it's an allusion to Zechariah chapter two, which says, be silent before the Lord, 
all humanity, for he is springing into action from his holy dwelling. I love that image. Be silent, everyone, because God is springing into action. And then, of course, the incense is cast to earth, and there's this huge lightning and a terrible earthquake, and that's the seven seals. And we want to take a deep breath because that's a lot. It's the collision of kingdoms. It's the judgment that brings justice. And we could stand back a little bit and we could think, you know, if breaking those seals brings that judgment, if breaking those seals brings that disaster, why don't we just leave those alone? Why would we even mess with those things? Because it can be difficult to picture the lamb as a judge. It can be difficult to picture the lamb bringing this kind of judgment. And we wrestle with the idea of judgment. It's hard to handle, especially judgment like this that's all-consuming. It almost seems primitive, and we know that it says in Matthew that we're not even supposed to judge. You know, we want justice. We want things to be made right. We want peace. We want restoration. We want the lamb to be Santa Claus, but we don't want the lamb to be judge. Because judges, they sit up on high. And they look down on people and, and they shake their head at people and they question people and they call out people and they tell us when we're wrong and they punish. And it's hard. It's hard to hold the wrath of God and the judgment of God in the same way that we hold the love of God. I mean, how can wrath of that kind of intensity and love of that kind of magnificence issue from the lamb at the same time? How can judgment that is that devastating and love that is that redeeming be encapsulated in the lamb at the same time? What are we supposed to do with that? But the truth is that both of those things are signs of his goodness. That judgment and that love, that justice are both signs of the goodness of the Lamb. And we need a just judge who brings judgment. And we need for a bunch of reasons. And the first reason is this. Why do we need a just judge who brings judgment? To bring order from our chaos. We need to have someone come and bring order to the chaos. Because at first, we think it would be liberating to not have a judge. Then we would have total freedom. We would get to decide what's right and wrong. We would get to decide what ideas that we lean into and what ideas that we don't, what things are valuable and what things aren't valuable. But this kind of freedom is, is pick up basketball. It's everybody just kind of calling their own thing and doing their own stuff. This kind of freedom ends in despair and hopelessness and chaos because it fosters endless cycles of arguing and fighting over who is right and who is wrong. This kind of freedom comes at the cost of meaning and purpose. And we need to see it that way. If there's no judge, if there's no judgment, then that means that there's nothing that's right and that there's nothing that's wrong. And if there's nothing that's right or wrong, then what are we doing with our lives? What's the purpose of our lives? What are we living for? If there's no judge, if there's no judgment, everything just goes into chaos. I worked in a daycare. After I graduated college and before I went into ministry, they had an opening. I didn't have any experience, but they just needed a warm body. And I, I had that kind of experience. I fit that bill. So 
I went into this daycare experience in this classroom. And the first week that I was there, there was this amazing teacher who always had everything planned for the children. And they always knew what they were to be doing at what time. And it was very organized and everything went off very well. Now, the second week I was there, this teacher didn't show up and I had to lead the class. And I really had one game in my repertoire with the children. It was called statues. I tried to get them to be as still and quiet as possible for as long as possible. And that didn't last hardly at all. So I decided one day that I was going to be their favorite. And I said, you know what? Today, you do whatever it is that you want to do. Whatever you want to do today, we're going to do it. It's going to be awesome. And you already know where this is going. Because it was absolute chaos. It was like a Lord of the Flies kind of situation. And kids were everywhere and bouncing off of everything. And it ended up where I had to come in and bring the hammer down. And they all sat on the, on the carpet in a circle. And they were sad. That's how it ended up. Because somebody had to bring order to this chaos. Somebody had to say there's right things and there's wrong things to be doing. And we need to abide by these rules. The judgment of the lamb brings order to the chaos because it establishes his kingdom. It establishes his rule. It establishes his righteousness. And we need to remember that this letter was written to the persecuted church. They wanted to know that there was purpose in their lives. They wanted to know that their struggle was for something bigger. They didn't want it to all be meaningless. The persecuted want justice. They want this order. And so we need a just judge to bring order from the chaos. Secondly, we need a just judge to free us from trying to be the judge. That's not our role. We might think the idea of God as judge is archaic or antiquated. But when we've been wronged, when something truly awful happens to us, we long for justice. And we're not afraid to take judgment into our own hands. Miroslav Volf is a theologian, and he said this, in a world of violence, we're faced with an inescapable alternative, either God's violence or human violence. Most people who insist on God's nonviolence cannot resist using violence themselves. They deem the talk of God's judgment irreverent, but think nothing of entrusting judgment into human hands, persuaded presumably that this is less dangerous and more humane than believing in a God who judges. Wolf is saying that it, it's hard for us to picture a God who's a judge and brings judgment because we just want to see him as love. And so therefore, then we take it into our own hands. Violence thrives because some believe that God refuses to take the sword. And if God won't do it, then I need to step in and I need to make all of things right. And this violence is an endless cycle. You wrong me, so I'll wrong you. Where does this end? We need to know that there's a judge. But who can fill this role? You see, the only one who can restore justice is the one who is truly just. The only one who can make things right again is the one who's truly righteous. He can judge because he's perfect. He can judge because his hands are clean. He can judge because he's all-knowing. He can judge because he's free from bias. This is the lamb. I don't have to make sense of it all. I don't have to be the judge. And so knowing that, that God is a God who brings judgment shouldn't lead me to anger or aggression. It should lead me to peace. Because I don't have to be the judge. I don't have to make these decisions. 
And I really need to question myself when I find myself stepping into certain situations to judge, to be the judge, to bring judgment that's not mine to bring. That's nothing that we are qualified to do. Thirdly, we need a judge, a just judge who brings judgment to bring healing and to establish his kingdom. You see, anything that would harm God's children or oppose his kingdom, he's going to deal with. When you truly love someone, you get angry at that which is destroying or has the potential to destroy that person. You desperately want to remove it. Anybody who's good, anyone who loves out of goodness and not selfishness will experience this. I think of this as a parent. As a parent, I want to remove the things that harm my children. I want to get rid of those things. And as I recall there's a lot of things growing up that we had to do. We had to bungee cord the chairs on the dining room table together at the bottom because my daughter would pull them out, jump up on the table, and hang from the chandelier. Not good. So you start to remove those things. You get rid of things that hurt your children. Author Ellie Wiesel said, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is not judgment. The opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is indifference. And Jesus is not indifferent to us. He loves us so much that he brings judgment against sin to bring justice to his children. So that we can have healing, so that his kingdom can be established. God's wrath, his judgment is the full weight of his being brought against that which destroys the object of his affections. It's the full weight of God's being against that which destroys the objects of his affection. And we see this in Revelation. We see this in chapter 6. This is the judgment that's coming that's going to finally bring justice. You see, Christ defeated sin on the cross. It was dealt a death blow. It's mortally wounded, but in its being mortally wounded, it is still fighting against us like crazy. But this is the end of it once for all. This is the lamb returning creation to its original design. And as we read this and as we see the magnitude of this judgment and this magnitude of this response to sin, it should remind us of the significant cost and impact of sin in our lives. As terrible as this judgment is, it's hopeful. It's actually hopeful because it brings justice. This is the judgment that gets us to peace, to restoration, to wholeness, to righteousness when things are finally made right. This is our hope. This is the restoration that's going on. And, and this is all the before picture. But we do get a glimpse of what the after is. And, and this is a little bit of a spoiler alert in the book of Revelation. And I know we're getting there. But as we read these judgments, and even in the coming weeks, I just want to read Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. This is what's coming at the end of this judgment. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. You see, that's the end game. That's what the lamb is bringing us to as he deals with these things that plague the earth. And so in light of this, I just want to give us two quick things to hang on to. And the first is this. I would just say, just a reminder to pray. 
The prayers in chapter 8, the prayers of the saints are incense before the throne. And in week one of this series, Steve talked to us about our ability to marinate in the scripture. And the more we marinate in scripture, the more that we understand revelation and understand what's coming. And I would say not only that, I would say we need to be saturated in prayer, marinated in scripture and saturated in prayer. And in particular, this pray for Jesus to come. Pray for Jesus to come to establish his kingdom in my life, in my family, in my community, in my city, in my world. Come is a word that we see all over the book of Revelation. We saw it in chapter 6. The four living beings are saying, come, come, bring this about. Establish your kingdom. At the beginning of Revelation in chapter 1, it says, look, he is coming. At the end of Revelation chapter 22, it says, look, I am coming quickly. Not will come, but am coming. And we know this coming is going to cause this collision, this violent colliding of the kingdoms of this world. There'll be upheaval. We will get caught in it sometimes. There will be hard things for us sometimes, but we continue to pray, Lord, come. Come, establish your kingdom the same way we prayed in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. And and when God establishes his kingdom, it's a removing of idols in our lives. It's a removing of things that we're clinging to that are not of him. There's some messy work that gets done when we pray, God, come. Come and establish your kingdom. But we continue to pray that. Jesus, come in our lives. This is the hope that we have. We can pray knowing that that Revelation 21 is true. Continue to come. And secondly, I would say this. Trust your life to the Lamb. Maybe some of you are hearing this message, and that's nothing that you've ever done before. And maybe as you hear this passage, and it's something that sits heavy on you. And maybe you hear this as something that is like, yeah, that's just kind of the picture of God that I have. But I promise you that the Lamb, who is this judge, is full of unfailing love and mercy. And he knew that on our own, we could not stand under the weight of this judgment. And Jesus didn't come and magically remove the need for judgment. What he did was he came to stand in our place. He let evil exhaust all of its power on him. He took our sentence. He took our judgment. He he says, I'm the judge who was judged so that I could be both just and the justifier for those who believe in me. This is the gospel. This is the good news. You see, we don't have a judge who stands aloof. We don't have a judge who stands above us. He came to be with us, to suffer for us, to receive the punishment that was ours so that those who believe in him can live forever with him. That's what we celebrate in this. Those in Christ have already had their judgment day. Romans 8 says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as a follower of Jesus, my judgment is behind me and my hope is before me. That's the hope that we have. We can live in hope and humility. We can live knowing that we are overcomers. And so if you have never put your faith in the Lamb, if you have never sacrificed, if you've never surrendered like we sang earlier, then I would just remind you that today's the day. If you're in a house church, don't leave your house church today until you've had a talk with your leader. 
You could also email the cross at salemalliance.org. We have people that would love to talk to you about that because those who are in Christ have already had their judgment day and will be able to stand. You know, Revelation is truly a message of hope. Even though it causes us to be restless, it causes us to be anxious, the Lamb is on the throne and His judgment is bringing His justice, His peace, His wholeness. He will restore all that is broken by sin. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for this word, this word that's tough. We thank you for these images, knowing that this is how you're dealing with sin. This is how you're dealing with brokenness once and for all. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your judgment that is going to bring justice. We thank you for your sacrifice that allows you to do that. We thank you that you are the lamb that is the overcomer. We thank you for making a way for us to experience this peace and this wholeness and this restoration. And so even though we get caught up in it sometimes, even though it's difficult sometimes, we thank you for your judgment because we trust you. We trust your heart. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.